as everybody's making their transition there, I want to ask you to get your Bibles out with me this morning as we continue our verse-by-verse exposition of 1 Peter. So if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, I want to share with you a message this morning out of verses 12 and 13 entitled, Perspectives on Suffering. Um, suffering is one of, seems to be one of Peter's favorite topics as he has, this isn't the first time in this letter that he's talked to the church about the, the nature of suffering and a response to suffering, and, and, uh, but once again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter has come back to recognize that, you know what, when it comes to suffering, people need to be reminded of the perspective that we're to hold in response to the difficulties that enter our life. You see, there, there's the certainty of suffering is something that, that we know we're going to endure. We're going to look at that a little bit closer here in a little bit. But as we have read through Peter's letter, he just continually seeks to encourage believers in the midst of suffering. And so, once again, he comes and, and, he, and he's speaking to the church. He's, he's just finished reminding them if you'll remember where we've been over the last several weeks, he's just finished reminding the church that Christ is coming again. He's coming soon. The end of all things is near. And he's been giving them an encouragement and how to respond in light of that knowledge. And now he, he comes to verse number 12 and he wants to once again encourage the church in, ha- in acquiring a proper perspective when it comes to suffering. So I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we read from God's holy word, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Heavenly Father, as we approach Your Word this morning, we pray first of all, Lord, that You would open our hearts to receive these truths. We pray, Father, that the name of Christ would be exalted. We pray that You would protect our hearts and our minds from error as we approach Your Word. And we pray, Lord, that above all, you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter begins this section by addressing his audience as the beloved or the beloved. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes when we're dealing with the difficulties and hardships and discouragements that come, in life, when we're, when we're suffering, when we're experiencing opposition and rejection, sometimes we need to be reminded that we're loved. And I think that's why Peter starts in that place. He reminds the people, you know, regardless of what you're dealing with, you are loved. Loved by God, loved by His Son, Jesus Christ, and loved by our family in Christ. And then he goes on in, in here in verse number 12, and he tells, tells us not to be surprised by suffering. And I think the really surprising thing that comes to us in this text is not necessarily that, 
that we should expect suffering, but as Peter gets into verse 13, he tells us not only should we expect it, but we should recognize that suffering is to be a cause for joy. That just doesn't sound right. That seems to be counterintuitive. I mean, who looks forward to suffering? Anybody get excited when suffering comes into your life? I mean, it just, it's just not natural, right? I mean, we don't get excited when things are going hard for us. We don't get excited when suffering enters in. We don't get excited when people are opposing us. We don't get excited when we, when we feel rejected. We don't, we don't get excited about those things. It, it's, a, it's a difficult thing for us to recognize that suffering is meant to be a cause for joy in our life because as followers of Jesus Christ, we are given a different position in regards to suffering, and so we ought to have a different perspective when it comes to suffering. And so, so Peter is telling us that, that suffering is meant to be a cause for joy. You know what, he's not alone in this. This isn't a unique message from Scripture for us. In fact, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the, to the Romans says in chapter 5, verse 3, he says, speaking of his own experience, he says, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. He says, you know what, we've been through some stuff and it's a, it's a cause for rejoicing. In James chapter 1, verse 2, James writes, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of various kinds. This is, this is not something that is just is natural for us. We have to be reminded of it. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. You see, the secret to having the, the right attitude in the midst of suffering is to have the right perspective. To recognize that we, because of who we are in Christ, we don't have to view suffering the way the world views suffering. We don't have to dread it. We don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to become desperate. But the question is, how do we get to the point where we recognize, not simply recognizing that suffering is a cause for joy, but how do we get to the point where we actually rejoice in suffering? And I think this is what Peter's trying to get us to see. He's trying to help us get to this place of, of having that perspective so that when suffering comes, we can respond to it in a way that exalts Christ, in a way that brings joy into our life. The, this section that Peter begins in talking about the sufferings that, that we must endure and the perspectives that we're to have, it actually runs all the way through the end of the chapter through verse 19, but we're, we're focusing on verses 12 and 13 this morning because of this aspect of recognizing suffering as a cause for joy. But there's several truths regarding our perspective on suffering that we need to evaluate from this text this morning. And the first thing that, that we need to recognize in, in adopting this proper perspective on suffering is the, that suffering is to be expected. I mean, look here back in verse number 12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. He says, first of all, don't be surprised about it, and don't think that it's strange. What's interesting is in, in the Greek, that word surprised and that word strange, they actually have the same root word in the Greek. And it means to, to, for something to be unusual. That's really the most basic meaning of it. 
And so what Peter's saying is, listen, suffering is not unusual. And suffering for the sake of Christ is something that should be expected as believers in Christ. You know, a lot of times when we're, um, excuse me, I mean, Jesus told us and, and has told his disciples that there's many things that they must endure for the sake of following him. In Luke 21, 17, he said, you will be hated by all because of my name. That doesn't sound like good evangelism, does it? I mean, when we're trying to share Christ with people, we want to tell people how, how good He is and how much He loves us, and we want to tell them of His plans and His purposes for us, and we want, to, we want to talk about all that He's promised to do, and those are good things and those are right things, but you know, a lot of times we don't, we don't share with people in, in trying to share them the fullness of Christ. We don't share with them, oh, by the way, if you choose to follow Christ, you're going to suffer for it. That, that, I mean, we just we don't do that. You know what's interesting to me? Jesus did. When he, when he was walking the earth, when He was discipling people, when He was, was teaching them, He wasn't thinking about what's going to run them away and, and, and what's going to chase them off and, and what's going to make me more appealing to them. He thought, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to share them the truth. I'm going to share with them the truth. And, and the truth is that, that as followers of Christ, that we should expect that we will suffer for His name. And so, we need, we need to rec- recognize that reality. And, and I get it's not, it's not natural for us to do things, or it doesn't seem natural for us to do things that might be harmful to us. And we can, be, we can sometimes be fearful that if we share these truths with people, that they may not embrace Christ the way we want to. We, we think we're going to run them off. You're never going to run somebody off from Christ by sharing truth with them. As long as you're sharing it in the most loving way that you can. But we need to share truth with them. And I think when you stop and think about it, there's a lot of things this world does even though they know it's harmful to them. I mean, have you ever thought about that? There's a lot of things that people do that they know are harmful and yet they do them anyway. People know that tobacco is harmful. They know that it can lead to lung cancer. They know that it can destroy you. They know that it can do that, but what they do it anyway, right? Because of the pleasure that it brings them in the moment, they do it anyway. Same thing with alcohol. People see the destruction that alcohol causes in people's lives. They, they know of the danger of it, and what do they do? They do it anyway. Are they, are they run off because of the danger of it? No, they recognize the benefit of it, and they... And they, and they pursue it regardless of the danger. Now, I'm not condoning any of these things, but what I'm saying is, if people will do it for the, for the pleasures that, the, that these things can provide them just for a moment, how much more should we be willing to endure suffering for the sake of Christ, who offers us not just temporary satisfaction, but eternal life? How much more should we be willing to suffer for the sake of Him who gave His life, who came and endured ridicule and rejection and suffering and even poured out His blood for our sake so that we might have a relationship with Him? He's worth it. Whatever we might have to endure in order to pursue that relationship, whatever we might have to endure in order to be known by Him and to know Him is worth the sacrifice. So many times we, our perspective about following Christ
Christ and, and dealing with the world around us just gets so skewed. Knowing Jesus and being known by Him holds so much more for us than the moderate discomforts that come to us in this world. People may not like you because you follow Christ. So what? You're loved by the King of Kings. People may not understand the convictions you have and the decisions you make, that you don't pursue the things that they pursue and, the, and do the things that they think are necessary for happiness in life because, because you're following Christ. So what if they reject you? So what if they don't understand? The Lord does understand. The Lord is with you. He has promised to be with you. He's been where you are. He's been rejected. He's suffered persecution. He's gone through trials. He knows loneliness. He knows heartbreak. And He can identify with you and has promised to use every bit of your suffering for good. Romans 8.28, one of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture. And we know that God works all things together for good to those that love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. He just, he just does. We don't always understand how He does it, but He does it. And if you've been walking with Him for any amount of time, you've seen that reality worked out in your own life. One of my... This has come to be one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It comes to us at the end of um, John chapter 6. And Jesus is, he's, he's fed the 5,000, you know, 5,000 men plus families. And, and the people are following him. And he actually crosses the sea and he gets to the other side. And, and the people are just, they keep flocking around him. And, and uh, Jesus begins to introduce some very difficult teaching at this point. He basically, he confronts the people. He tells them, you don't follow me because of, of who I say that I am, but you follow me because of what you think you can get from me. So he just, he confronts them in that reality. And uh, the people say, well, you know what? Moses gave us, you know, bread in the wilderness and, uh, you know, and manna from heaven. He says, what, what, what sign do you give so that we might know and believe in you? And Jesus is like, Seriously, I just multiplied five loaves of bread and two fish and fed 5,000, 20,000 people. And he's like, but he doesn't do that, you know, but that's kind of my thought when I see that. I'm like, really? You're going to ask for a, for a sign after what he just did? But he doesn't. So what, but what does he do? He comes back and he says, listen, he says, I'm the bread that came out of heaven. He says, unless a man eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he will perish. But if you want to have life, you need, you need to do that. And the people are going, what's this guy talking about? And it says that, that they, they began to desert him. They began to leave him because they couldn't understand. They couldn't accept his teaching. They couldn't follow him. And, and, and at the end of John chapter 6, in, in verse 67, Jesus turns to the 12 and he says to them, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to who shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
No. I don't think they understood any more about what Jesus was talking about than all the people that deserted him. But you know what? What they did know mattered more than what they didn't know. And what they did know is that Jesus was the Son of God come to bring eternal life. And they hung on to every word. And, how are, and you know what? And we see this in the lives of the disciples. So often they don't get it. But you know what? When you stay with Jesus, you get the opportunity to ask him. You get to say, okay, Jesus, what are you talking about here? We, we don't get it. And they were taught by him. You see, they understood that to follow Jesus was to have eternal life. And so it didn't matter the, the difficulties that they were facing. It didn't matter the hard things that they didn't understand. What mattered was knowing him. Suffering's going to come. We can expect that. But when it comes, wouldn't you much rather endure it with Christ by your side than to face it alone? Wouldn't you rather willingly suffer for His sake than to face the uncertainties of life without any hope whatsoever? We should expect that suffering is going to come. It's been promised to us as believers. But because we know it's coming, we can prepare for it. We can, we can look to the promises of God's Word, we can meditate on those promises, and we can strengthen the foundation of our faith in order that we might stand firm when the time comes, that we might honor Him, that we might cling to Him. Suffering is not meant to be a sorrow for believers, it's meant to be a joy. Because we purpose in our suffering. It's not just that we need to expect suffering. We need to recognize that there's purpose in suffering. Look back with me again at verse 12. He says, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. You see, there's the purpose. See, God's it, suffering doesn't just come just because it's part of life. God has purpose in the things that we must endure in this life. He has purpose in, in making us endure those and bringing those things into our life. Now that word, that word testing is a word that speaks of proving something, to showing it to be of sufficient strength. So anybody ever go to the store and buy a length of rope or a length of chain um, for anything? And you know it's got, it's got a rating level on it, right? It tells you how much, how strong it is basically, what, it, what, it's, going to, what it's going to hold up, right? So say if you wanted to put a uh, a tire swing out in your front yard, right? You're going to put it up for the kids, right? And uh, so, you know, you want to buy a rope, you know, it's safe. It says it's uh, rated for 100 pounds. You know, that's, you know, your kids are small, you know, they're 40, 50 pounds, that and the tire, that'd be plenty strong, right? Is that what kind of rope you want to get? No, of course not. You want a rope that, that's, that's stronger than what's just strong enough because, I mean, let's face it. I mean, yeah, you're putting it up for the kids, but you've got to test it out, right? So you want to make sure it's going to hold you and the tire, and everything else. And so, so you test it, right? You, you're proving the strength of that rope when you get it all together and you take that first swing. You're proving that it can withhold the weight that it's supposed to withhold. It's a testing process. Suffering does the same thing in the life of a believer. It tests us. It tests the strength of our faith. Most of you are familiar with a man by the name of Abraham. The book of Genesis. 
God made Abraham some promises. God delivered on those promises. Gave Abraham a son in his old age. Abraham's 100 years old. His wife's 90 years old and he has a son. According to God's promise. And yet when you get to Genesis 22, the Lord speaks and he says, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. And in verse 2, it says, He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. I mean, can you even imagine what it would be like to be in Abraham's shoes? I mean, you have just, God has just wonderfully and gloriously given you a miracle child. Not only is he a child that has been promised to you, but he is a child from which God has said, through him, I'm going to multiply your descendants. Through him, all the earth's going to be blessed. He was the child of promise. And now God's saying, Abraham, I know you love this child. And I gave him to you, but you need to offer him to me. And, I mean, that's a test like you just can't even begin to imagine. I mean, what do you do? It's like, God, I, 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 don't, I don't get it. When we get to the New Testament book of Hebrews in chapter 11, 17 through 19, it recalls Abraham's response. It says there, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. And he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. You see, Abraham's faith was tested. And he passed the test, why? Because he trusted God in the most difficult of circumstances. He believed that God was able to do the impossible. When nothing else made sense, he knew that God could even raise the dead back to life. He trusted God implicitly, He trusted God completely. And his faith was proven to be not only genuine, but to be strong. But now who was he proving it to? Was he proving his faith to God? Do you think God didn't know what Abraham was going to do? God knew. Abraham didn't know. You see, I mean, how many of us when we go through life, you know, we hear about things happening around us and we say, well, you know what I would do? When the reality is, is until a circumstance comes into your life, you don't know what you'll do. You can make a plan, you can think that you would respond in a certain way, but until something actually happens, you don't know how you're going to respond. So God brings circumstances into our life so that we can respond, so that we'll know how strong our faith is. Suffering comes into our life for our testing. Even... Oftentimes, that, those circumstances are involving intense suffering. Peter calls it a fiery ordeal. Fiery circumstances. That doesn't sound too good, does it? He says, don't be surprised by this fiery ordeal which has come among you. Most scholars believe that Peter saw in this fiery suffering of his fellow Christians a fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi. Malachi 3.3, the Lord said he will sit 
as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. That's what we sang about the last song before I got up here, the refiner's fire. God brings suffering into our lives in order to make us holy. In order to do away with those things which are secondary so that we might focus on the things which are primary, that we might grow in our likeness to Christ and that we might be strengthened in our faith. We need to expect suffering. We need to recognize the purpose in suffering. But I think probably the most important aspect of what we see in these two verses this morning is our identification in suffering. And this is what Peter deals with in verse 13, where he specifically begins to talk about joy in that perspective. Let's look at it. It says, To the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. The primary reason that suffering can be a cause for joy in the life of a believer is because suffering identifies us with Christ. That I mean, if anything happens in your life that, that causes people to say they belong to Jesus, it should be a cause for joy in our life. When something happens in your life and people recognize that you're a person of faith, that you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, because you know, what, you know what they're seeing when they identify you in that way? They're not seeing just you. They're seeing Him. That's a reason for us to have joy. That's a reason for us to have this perspective that whatever happens, if people recognize that we're His, then we can endure it for the joy that's before us because we are seen as His children, as His people. Our suffering is linked with the suffering of Christ. And our joy is linked with the joy of Christ. Because Christ came and suffered and died. The Bible tells us for the joy that was set before Him. He rejoiced to do the Father's will. He was encouraged to be steadfast in order to carry out His Father's will. When we endure suffering, we ought to be able to find joy in the midst of it as we recognize that through our difficulty, that we're able just to understand Jesus a little bit better. Because He suffered like none of us have suffered. And so as we endure suffering, we can look to Him and the suffering that He endured, and we can understand Him a little bit better. And we can draw closer to Him, and we can understand that, that we are identified with Him. Jesus told, tells us in John 15, 18 through 19, He says, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. And because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. He says, listen, I understand rejection. I understand opposition. I understand those things that, that weigh heavy on your heart because of how people are treating you. He says, listen, I've been there. I understood it. They've done the same thing to me. And if you're going to follow me, you should understand that, there's, you know what? The people in the world, they're going to do that to you too. But it's okay because I chose you for this purpose. I'm with you in this. You can understand me better and you can know 
that because I've endured it, that I will be your comforter. Because I've endured it, that I will be by your side. We can know that whatever we're dealing with, that Christ has already dealt with it. That he, that he understands our pain. That He comes into our life in order to show us how we can respond in a way that reflects not our pain. We don't want to reflect our pain when we're suffering. We want to reflect His character. We want to reflect His, reflect his love. When suffering comes because of our relationship to Christ, it just stands as further evidence that we are His. And that the world has recognized that reality. I know, I mean, we rejoice at times when people recognize our faith in a positive manner. I mean, there's been times when we've, we've my family and I, we've been out to eat and, and uh, you're not doing anything out of the ordinary, but, you know, we pray before our meal and, and we, you know, then we partake of the meal and we've countless times had people come up to us and, and just say what an encouragement it was for them to see our family praying and just, and just what, and just how they appreciated that. And you know what, I mean, it makes you feel good that people appreciate that and that they recognize you for, for faithfully following Christ. But you know what, it's not just positive affirmations in following Christ. Sometimes it's the negative things that, that come when we, when we follow Christ. When I, was, when I was called to the ministry, I can remember sitting down and, and, and telling my mother-in-law what was going on. And uh, that, we, that, that I'd surrendered to the ministry and that, um, that we were going to be leaving for seminary, we were going to be moving away and going to seminary. And she became irate. I mean, she was furious with us. And she just, she slammed her hand down and she said, I knew this was going to happen. And she, I mean, she was just mad. But I mean, what an affirmation. It wasn't a positive affirmation. It was, but even in that negativity towards us and surrendering to the ministry, she was affirming that this is what God was doing in our life. And, and you know what, I, and I can't explain, you know, all, all that goes on in, 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 the, in those moments. But to tell you that when, when, you're, when you're in the moment and the Lord speaks to you and affirms you and encourages you, that even though it may not be the most ideal circumstances, it's still a cause for joy. It's still an affirmation of Christ's love and Christ's direction and Christ's presence. And, and if, we can, if we can rejoice in the positive affirmations, then we can rejoice in the negative ones as well. Suffering comes to bring us joy in our life. The same joy should be felt when others recognize our faith and ridicule us for it as when they recognize our faith and praise us for it. Because you know what? We're not doing it for them. We're doing it for Him. When, we, when you read in Acts chapter 5, you see an interesting scene there with the apostles. They've been arrested for their faith. Again, for the second time, they've been arrested. And uh, the uh, people are trying to figure out what to do with them. The, the Sanhedrin has come together. They don't know what to do with them. They've told them not to preach in Jesus' name. They're preaching anyway. Gamaliel comes along and tells them, you know what, don't do anything to these guys because if it's of God, you can't stop it anyway. And so they beat them. And then they release them. And in chapter 5, verse 41, it says, They went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And I can remember reading that years ago and just really struggling with trying to understand how in the world 
do you get to a point when you can be beaten and rejoice in it? I'm thinking that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. How can, how can you endure a beating and then say, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to endure this? I, I, didn't, I didn't get it. It doesn't make it, it, still, I struggle with it at times, but it makes a whole lot more sense to me now than it did then. Because it wasn't the beating that they were rejoicing in. It wasn't the suffering that they were rejoicing in. It was their identification with Christ that they were rejoicing in. It was recognizing that they were beaten for His sake, that they were suffering shame for His name. You know, and you know what it meant? It meant that they were doing what Christ called them to do. That they were representing Him and He was being, His name was going forth with power. And people were responding to it, even though they were responding to it negatively, it was still a cause for joy. Because Christ's name was being properly represented. You know, I, I've come across pastors and preachers who will come to uh, passages like this and, and, the, and they'll, they'll try and, and switch things around and they'll try and reinterpret it when you talk about having joy and suffering. And they'll say, well, the, the real meaning behind the text is that when, when Christ has brought us through the suffering, when we get to the end, that we can look back and we can see how He's been with us and that we can rejoice in the victory that we have. And, and, and I get that, and, and there's, there's some truth to that, but that's not what He's saying. That's not what the text says. That's, that's not the purpose. In this one or in many of the other ones in Scripture. I mean, look at, look at what He says here in verse 12. He says... But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. This is something that is ongoing and continuous. This isn't something that's going to happen in the future. This is something that is happening on right now. It needs to continue happening. Which means that if you're suffering and you're not rejoicing, that you're out of step with God's will and you need to find, be able to find the joy in your suffering so that you can keep on rejoicing so that Christ will be exalted through your suffering. You follow me? Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. So... What we, what we need to recognize here is that while it's understandable and relatable to be able to say that joy comes at the end, ultimately it denies the sustaining power of Christ in the moment. And He is able to sustain us and He is able to strengthen us in the moment of our suffering so that we can have joy in its midst. Keep on rejoicing. We rejoice in our suffering knowing that we are identified with our Savior and that He identifies with us. Because He suffered to a much fuller degree any type of suffering which we may feel. And He comes to comfort us. So we are joyful for identification with Him and His with us, but also because of the unity that we'll experience when He returns. When we're when our faith has been demonstrated to be faithful at the return of Christ, the joy that we, in, that we expressed in the midst of our suffering now will find its fullest expression when he returns. It's at the end of verse 13. He says, so that also at the re revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. You know what exultation is? It's literally jumping for joy. I think that's, that's probably the, the simplest explanation of what that word means. It means to leap about, to be overflowing with joy. When Christ comes back and we've been faithful, 
we'll have even more reason to rejoice than we do now. But for now, and in this time, while we wait, we can understand that the proper perspective in facing suffering is to understand that it's a cause for joy. That Christ intends to use it, that he's bringing it into our life for that purpose, that he's working in us and through us to conform us to his image, to refine us and perfect us, and so that we will identify with him and he with us. How much better to know that suffering's coming and prepare for it, knowing that the Lord is walking with you, knowing that he's using it to, to transform you, and to approach it with no hope of deliverance, no comfort of God's presence. Suffering is certain. Suffering is purposeful. And through it, we draw closer to Christ because we understand what he endured and we draw comfort in that reality. Since all suffering for the Christian is an opportunity to exalt Christ, all suffering ultimately is a cause for joy. The direct context that Peter deals with here is that which comes as a direct result of following Christ. That is persecution. That's what he's dealing with. We don't deal with a lot of direct persecution for our faith. But that doesn't mean we don't suffer for the cause of Christ. It just means that when suffering comes into our life that we need to re evaluate it and recognize it, that it is an opportunity for us to demonstrate our faith. That God wants to use it for his glory and for our good, and therefore we can rejoice in it, whatever it may be. But if you don't know Christ, if you don't know the joy of his forgiveness, if you don't know what it means to walk with him, you can't possibly know what it means to have joy in suffering. And this world will only hold discouragement and desperation for you. If that's you this morning, I want you to know that the Lord can change that for you. He can teach you how to have joy in the midst of suffering. He can, he can show you how to have a perspective that honors Him and glorifies Him. He can work through whatever difficulty you're in now and he can turn it around to use it for good and to restore joy in your life. You just need to come to him. That doesn't mean that all your problems will magically disappear. It most certainly won't happen. But what does happen is that those things which seemed hopeless, those things which were difficult, those things which were causing despair begin to take on a new perspective. You gain insight and understanding, and you gain hope and encouragement where before there was none. That doesn't mean that as Christians, and I know many of you that have walked with Christ for a number of years are, are going, yeah, but I'm a believer and I still struggle when suffering comes. That's because we need to be reminded of the perspectives that we're to have. Peter was addressing 
believers when he wrote this letter. And yet, over and over and over again, he keeps coming back to the reality and reminding them, listen, suffering has a purpose. Listen, God's working through it. Listen, God is with you. Listen, God, God is using it. You can have joy in it because of your identification with Christ. You can endure it because of the promises that you have in Christ. And so, we need, as believers, we need to be reminded of these perspectives. We need to be encouraged by God's Word. We need to be taught by His Spirit. You're not, your suffering isn't anything unusual, but it is something in which we need to be reminded of whose we are and of the promises He's given to us so that we can cling to those promises in our times of suffering. That we might have renewed passion for identifying with the sufferings of Christ and recognize His compassion towards us. Remembering His great love and His great sacrifice. Don't let the frustrations, sufferings, and difficulties of life produce in you bitterness and animosity. But through every difficulty, remember your relationship to Christ. That He has chosen you for this so that you might represent Him to those around you. Let's pray together. Father, so hard when we are engaged with the sufferings of this life to maintain a perspective that rests in your glory and power. Father, I thank you for this word this morning that reminds us that our suffering isn't unusual, that, that you have purpose in it and that you are testing us in it. Father, give us the strength to endure the test. And remind us of the suffering that you endured for our sake. That we might face our difficulties with renewed zeal to represent you. With new hope in the promises that you've given us. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would touch our hearts and encourage us to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, have your way in our hearts right now. May the lost repent and be saved. May the saints be encouraged and strengthened and as they turn back to you to lay hold of these perspectives that you've given us. And may you exalt your great and holy name. Amen. Let's stand together.